Welcome to the Busy Pastor Podcast. If you're interested in leadership and ministry coaching, go to busypastor.org slash coaching. Join the Busy Pastor community today by going to busypastor.org and filling out the form. You'll receive more free resources, starting with our Fab Five resource, helping you determine the five things that only you can do. My name is Greg Gibson. I'm joined by my co-host, Trent Stewart, the lead pastor at Foothills Church. And today we are talking about leading staff. Episode 24 of the Busy Pastor Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Welcome to everyone who's joining us for the first time. And uh, Trent, we're talking today about leading staff. So let's get right into the content. And let's do it. Yeah, for the first question, I want to I want to take us all the way back to when you first planted Foothills Church uh, and begin uh, our conversation around the first staff positions that that you hired uh, when you planted FC mm-hmm. uh, and why you hired those positions. Yeah. Well, the first the first thing that we hired was a worship pastor, and so um, I think um, uh, some someone that. Obviously, when you're a you know church plant, somebody that can do multiple things. So, a worship pastor that also had some production skills and that kind of stuff was, I think, really important um, at that point. And then, uh, shortly after that, was a student pastor slash missions, uh, which uh, I think was for me intentional. You know, a lot of people I've heard, and I was encouraged to get like a kids pastor to you know start with but i i was coming out of student ministry so i really just had a heart for students and right. specifically kind of in our context here there there weren't any churches that had dynamic student ministries that were really engaging the the high school campuses right and middle school campuses around this area and so i really felt like man if we could start start then and and start to build that student ministry culture um, we had, I had my wife and some mm-hmm. other strong volunteers that um, really led the charge in kids ministry at that time. And so, you know, my wife um, did a, a, was able to, to lean into that and she was free. Uh, so didn't have to pay her. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, I thought, I think for us, it just worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would encourage, you know, I would encourage guys to really think through how they could start a student ministry that would really engage the, the campuses because when you do student ministry well, the benefits are just so um, huge. I mean, you're talking about uh, kids that you know come to faith and, and uh, families that get excited, and we have a lot of families uh, that would start coming to our church uh, because their son or their daughter you know received Christ, and so now you're pulling in families and in, in that right. way, and so that's what that's what I did. I would I would encourage guys to really think through that. Um, and I think that that was just a huge, huge win for us. Yeah. And so for perspective, Foothills Church is, is how old? What are we, what, our anniversary recently, what number we celebrate? 12. So okay. we're 12 years old. So at the beginning, yeah, I, I, I think that is a pretty interesting perspective, you know, that right from the beginning, yeah, you hired a worship pastor. Um, that was an important first hire, but then you hired a student pastor and most the, uh, that, that, from what I have seen and have been a part of and, and, you know, have seen kind of in the church planting world, that is backwards, right? You're hiring a kid's person first. Yeah. 
But like you were mentioning a moment ago, I think that the uniqueness of that was a, you knew our context, mm-hmm. B, you knew the need mm-hmm. of our context. And I think the, you know, I was a part of FC in those early days. In fact, I was that guy yeah. <laughs> that you hired. Um, and, and as I look back on it, 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 it felt like Foothills was more established than it should have been. Mm. In, in in some senses, because if, if you have a kid's person, you're drawing young families, mm-hmm. you kind of have like early 20s, mid 20s people running around. Yeah. But we were drawing that plus mm-hmm. we were drawing more established families yeah. that had teenagers in it during that stage. Right. And I think at that point in my life, I had little kids. Yeah. And so typically, you know, in churches, the whoever the lead pastor is, you know, that's really where that draw you know, from the community is who, whoever you are, you're going to draw that life stage. Right. So we were drawing that life stage anyway. Um, you know, and so that was as far as young kids. Right. And so that on top of, you know, having volunteers that could build a kid's ministry, it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. So you, you build that out, you're going to draw, you know, that, that group. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I think this the student crowd, but but here's the other thing I would say is that you want to hire a student pastor who's a leader mm-hmm. uh, and who is just talented. You know, somebody that has a lot of talent, somebody that has, you know, really a self-motivation, somebody that, you know, really is a, a charge the hill kind of person because in that stage of your church, you're really you're you're starting all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. so you need uh, initiators, you need gatherers around you uh, because you're you're going to be you know barely keeping your head above water as a church planner in the beginning stages, and so you don't you don't want somebody that's just constantly draining you, and you're having to give that person so much attention that you know you're not leading in the ways that you need to, and so you're always going to be you know managing, and we'll talk about other staff issues today, but. You know, you, you really want the initiators and the gathers. Yeah, that, that founder type who can, who in many ways you can still develop and, and you're still pouring into mentoring, but you're, you're able to, to see this person charge the hill I would right rather, alongside of you. I would rather like hold a guy back and steer him a little bit than have to constantly push, push a guy to get out there and, and work and get stuff done. And so... Mm. That's the tension that I chose to deal with. You're always going to be wrestling with one of those tensions, and you know the guy that's just not working hard enough or not doesn't know what he's doing, uh, and you're constantly pushing versus the guy that is doing a hun- going 100 miles an hour, and you're constantly trying to steer. But yes, yeah, so, pick your poison. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. And and so so now 12 years in, we've seen Foothills Church go through different iterations of growth, and you've hired you know different staff members now. I think there's you know, 30 plus, uh, you know, staff members here at FC, but, but like, uh, so, so one more question on that. If, would you go back and do it differently? I mean, it, would you, st- knowing what you know now, yeah. being over a decade in, in this context with FC, would you do it differently? I would do a lot differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, I think, I guess I would encourage guys not to live in the past. And so I try not to live in the past and try to rework. But one thing that I would go back and do differently, and it's not because I didn't hire a good person or I didn't have a good team at that time. I had a great team. I had great people. And in one sense, I wouldn't go, but I wouldn't change 
uh, the staff that I hired, I wouldn't go back and change that. But if I were going to go plant a new place today, then I would go with a part-time worship pastor. And I would start that way and get somebody local and someone that, uh, you know, I could, I could go part-time with financially. And then that would free me up to hire one, maybe two other guys, mm-hmm. you know, have a student guy and a mis- somebody that focused on local missions or, or focused on small groups. Mm-hmm. So to have two pastors that were gatherers and initiators, um, you know, would, would have been, uh, I think, a, a difference uh, in, in the life of our church. Yeah, so there's a lot of younger guys listening to, you know, this episode and, and who are listeners of the Busy Pastor podcast. And and these are guys who are planting churches right now. These are guys who are leading smaller churches. And so, you know, yeah, I think I think that is good advice, going back and maybe changing some things. But what would you recommend to these young guys who are listening in this season of ministry? And what should they be looking for um, kind of as they're, they're thinking about this? You know, I, I think one of the, the biggest prayers for me is just that God would bring and draw the best leaders in the, and the leaders that have a heart to make disciples. And so whoever that is in your vein, whoever God brings into, you know, your, your sphere of influence, then try to get them on your team and then whatever they're good at, then let them run in that lane. And so you're just constantly trying to get the best um, talent and heart for ministry and and potential around you. And then, and so I wouldn't be so dialed into, oh, I got to have this niche guy or I got to have this, this type of person that is going to do, you know, small groups or whatever, the best small group guy. I, you, you, you don't want specialized people at that stage, you know, when you're at a, a church under 150. You want guys who are kind of multi-use, are, are just growing in leadership and have a heart to make disciples and they can do, you know, many multiple things. And, and you, you are, you're going to have to, as the lead guy, you're going to have to develop right. and coach and constantly, you know, have conversations about how we can do things better. Um, so, Whoever God is bringing into that lane, you're casting out that net and just bring in the best talent that you possibly can and then work with their skill set to give them a position is what, you know, really what I've done over the last 12 years anyway. Yeah, you know, one, one thing I would add to that in planting Veritas in D.C., you know, we were a couple hundred people and uh, in, in a small staff and I, I definitely felt felt that as well. And, and kind of the, the encouragement that I would give alongside of what you just said is, is, uh, you know, those four C's mm-hmm. in, in kind of hiring sure. staff. I, I can't remember who that's attributed to, I don't either. but it's competency, chemistry, uh, culture and character. Yeah. And, and guys, you're going to hire guys who are competent for sure. But I think in the early days, um, and you're going to hire guys, hopefully, with high character. So those those two things, check and check. Check. You know, but but I think it's so important in those those early days to have to hire guys who have chemistry with you. Yeah. And uh, and who are bought into the culture that you're beginning to to create. You mm-hmm. know, with your church, because if they're not, it's going to be glaring. Yeah. You know, more so than when you have a staff of 30, 40, 50, mm-hmm. etc. You know, where, okay, there's going to be different teams that people are a part of. You need strengths and weaknesses. You need, you know, the, the different gift sets that guys bring. Yeah. You know, but when, when, you're, when you're just starting out, those, I, I would just kind of throw that as, as icing on the cake there. Um, 
So FC, last 12 years, you were in student ministry before that, you know, leading staff in a, in a larger church uh, in, in your role as well, Trent. Uh, let's talk lessons, all right? So just, just, just quickly, what are some lessons that you've learned in, in leading staff over the last 20 years? Well, I think I was surprised, you know, once, once we started growing and we started adding more people to the team, I was surprised at how much time staff took out of my week. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if somebody's listen, listening who's not in ministry or not a pastor, like, that, that's like one of the main things that, like right now, I do all week. <laughs> and so uh, that, was, that was surprising because, you know, I guess in the back of your mind, kind of going into ministry, um, and when I was pastoring a small church before, um, you know, I didn't have any staff. I had like a secretary and a part-time you know, worship guy, but I, I just didn't realize how much energy and time and focus it was going to take. And so I, I would just, you know, w- one of the lessons I've learned is that you're just always dealing with something. There's always an issue. I mean, literally, there's always an issue. I don't care if your staff is, you know, three people or 30 mm-hmm. or, or, you know, definitely over that, you're always going to have issues. There's just always something going. And if, if you're growing, then you're always trying to hire somebody. You're trying to reorganize to better suit the needs of the church or you're, you're, you're in the process of letting somebody go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's just one of the things where at this point, you know, I get it. It's like every, every week there's something. And uh, so we're always dealing with some kind of issue. And I, I guess the encouragement for guys listening is, man, don't don't be afraid of that. That's just ministry. Yeah. Um, don't let that discourage you, and don't don't let that feel like, man, I I have the worst staff because we're always dealing with something. I wish I just had mature guys. Like, uh, no, that's just part of life. It's mm. part of ministry. You're always going to have issues. You're constantly training. You're constantly equipping, and and here's the other big big one is you're always realigning, mm. and so you're never in a phase to where you can sit back and say, "Hey, I think everybody's on board, and we're all pushing in the right direction." That never, to me, you know, maybe one day out of the year that that is true. Right. Um, outside of that, we're always course correcting and and always trying to bring. Uh, folks back into realignment of the direction that we're trying to go. And so um, I think that that's just one of the bigger lessons. And then just another lesson is just always hire leaders and gatherers. Um, you're going to get to a point to where, you know, we're, we're hiring specialized people now in certain areas. And so that's, that's needed at some point. But early on, you know, when your staff is two, three, four people, you really want to hire, you know, guys, ladies that are gatherers, leaders, and not just somebody that is a yes man. Um, that's that's one of the things that I would encourage too is, you know, I, I never wanted to hire a yes man, somebody that just says whatever you want, Trent, or yeah, that's great. Let's move, you know, wherever you, you want guys that are going to like have the freedom to say, hey, Ah, that sounds that sounds good, but have you thought about this? And you know, what about this? And and because you you want people around you to bring that skill set, those questions, and their their train of thought, so that you can make the best decision. And so, as a leader, it's not just oh, I want to make all the decisions. No, I don't want to make the best decision. And so, you want to bring guys around the table, ladies around the table, that 
you know, can, can help you get to that decision. And so you want to have what we've always called robust dialogue. You mm-hmm. know, we want to come into the room. We want to, we want to have the freedom to be able to ask the question, to be able to challenge the thought. Um, and then when we get up and we walk out that door, everybody knows that we're all on the same page and we're not going to backbite or diminish anybody like, well, this is what I wanted, but he decided to do that. Like, no, you want to build a culture where we're going to have the discussions around the table in the room as a team. And then when we get up and we leave, we're all on the same team and we're all speaking highly of each other yeah. and uh, 100% bought into whatever the decision is. Yeah, robust dialogue in so many ways is built on trust. And yeah. and, and leading te- building teams is an art in itself, but leading teams is a whole nother art, mm-hmm. you know, a whole nother angle to leadership. And, you know, I, I, I think I've seen that here at Foothills Church where, you know, when, when we are practicing that value, that, that value of, of dialogue or robust mm-hmm. dialogue, it's for the benefit of the mission, right? It's for the benefit of the church. It's for mm-hmm. the benefit of making the best decision, like mm-hmm. you said, uh, in, in, uh, in, in community. And, uh, and I, I think that that's so, so important as you're thinking about, um, you know, leading the staff or leading the team that you have and, and how you're getting guys around the table to speak into the decision making and, and letting guys run in in their lane. I, I love that you said you want to hire leaders, yeah, and not followers. Well, that's huge, especially in in a younger church. You, well, I mean, always, but I think that was one of the good things that that we did here is that like we gave and, and empowered leaders to lead. And so I, I'm not going to come look over your shoulder every day. You know, there there's a level of trust that you're going to get it done, and and so in the system of our meetings, you know, there's quarterly meetings, there's you know the weekly meetings, so that we have that one-on-one time, so I can ask questions. Hi, you know, how's it going in this area? How's it going in this area? And so I've got my pulse on that, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm entrusting guys to lead this well, and um, I think we have to be able to do that. And if you're if you're leading somebody who you're constantly like babysitting then they're probably just not ready to lead in that area. And I think the other, the other lesson, and, and we can move on to the next question, the other is you've got to be willing to make the hard decision with staff. Mm-hmm. You've got to make the hard decision that says this guy isn't in, his, you know, in the right area of ministry or he's not getting it done here, and you've got to be able to either move him or her or let them go or just help them in their journey the most the best thing I can do for a guy is be honest with him. And if I can be honest with him about what he's doing well and what he's not doing well, and if he's not a good fit for here, then the best thing I can do for him and his family is tell him that so he can get where he will fit in and he will be successful and and be fulfilling. And so I think we always look at that hard conversation as I don't want to be mean, I want to be (laughs) nice, but really you're not being nice to that person if you're not being honest to them. Yeah, I, I've heard a guy once called misplaced compassion, right? So it's it's placing compassion on the wrong thing. You're, you're valuing yeah. the lack of tension or the lack of conflict, which in a way begins to hurt your staff and then hurt your church. Oh, it hurts your church, for sure. And then hurt your community because mm-hmm. you're not reaching the people yeah. that you should be reaching. And I mean, it's just a, a trickle effect. And so... Uh, uh, that's such a good point. So, so let's talk about the stages of growth that a team experiences yeah. for a second. And, and you and I both have been influenced by the book Sticky Teams by Larry Osborne. And, uh, and so let's, let's talk through that. And I, I think this is an important conversation for, for guys listening. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so let's, let's talk through those stages of growth for a second. Yeah. I love how he, he kind of gives this, um, cause we're, we're sports guys. And so stages of your church, um, based on different sports. And so he says stage one of a church he calls a track star. And so this is where, you know, you've got one guy, one pastor, he kind of does everything by himself. Uh, these are churches maybe from 150, you know, or less. And so this is kind of like the solo guy, right? And so I would, I would suggest that if you're planning a church or if you're at a small church, that you recognize if you're kind of being the track star because you don't want to be this guy. Right. <laughs> you don't want to try to do this all on your own. Even if you're at a church less than 100, you want to empower you know, some people, even if you're not paying them, lay leaders to take responsibility for small groups or for students or for whatever so that you have a team. Never just lead your church alone. That's very dangerous and I think unbiblical. And so, um, but... There are stages where, okay, man, I am the only guy here. I need to get, you know, I, I need to make some adjustments. But that's that's the first stage. And the second stage, he talks about being what he calls golfing buddies. And so this is where you're highly relational. There's only two or three of you, you know, maybe churches over 150 to, you know, maybe three, 400, 500 people. Um, so they're, they're able to make quick decisions. And you remember in the early days when we were working here, like together, like if we wanted to you know, change a program, didn't matter how big the program was or how, how often we had done it from year to year. If we wanted to make a change, one meeting, boom, done, change, move on, you yes. know, hallway conversations and hallway meetings could happen and we could adjust quickly. And so that's fun. You know, when you're, when you're highly relational, it's a small team, you're making decisions quick and it's a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot of fun mm. because, you know, whether you're eating lunch together or you're doing ministry together, it's just, you know, a lot of uh, time together to, you know, just to, to, to do life and ministry together. So that stage is, is pretty fun. And so that's why a lot of churches kind of get stuck in that stage is because honestly, pastors love that camaraderie and that relational time and that ability to make decisions quickly and they don't have to trust any more people and they don't have to bring any more people on. And so it's kind of an easy uh, way just to lead. Hmm. And so uh, that's why I think a lot of churches don't get out of that, you know, three, 400 um, number. But then you move into what he calls the basketball team. And so obviously resonates with me as a, as a basketball player, but this is, you know, you're still working together. You still know everybody on the team, but you shifted a little bit because now there are more specialized people on the team. And so you definitely have to work together, but there's more trust on the team because you have to share the ball a little bit more. And, you know, you've got your shooters, you've got, you know, the guard play maybe out, you know, you guys are shooting threes. This is the big man. He kind of stays inside. Uh, this is the point guard. He's kind of handling the ball. And, and so you do have more um, uh, of a, of a specialized, but, but still you're kind of doing multiple things. You got to play offense and you got to play defense and you got to, everybody's got to box out and rebound, but there's still very high relationships here, but the team is just, you know, bigger there. There are many role players. Um, so yeah, I think when you hit that 350, 400, hopefully you're, you're, if you get over that, you're making that shift in, in that, uh, sense. Uh, but then the, the final stage is like the, the football team. And so this is like the, the drastic change 
where churches, mm. you know, that are over that 600, reaching that thousand or above have, have kind of um, taken root. And so now you have specialized guys, you have an offensive coordinator, you have a defensive coordinator and you know, they're, they practice together. They don't always know each other's plays. They don't always know what's, what's happening, but they're on the same team. You've got the wide receiver coach, you know, then you get the punter over there punting and we never know what he's doing uh, at practice, but <laughs> you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And so as a, as a pastor, like, I don't know, even everything that everybody's doing at this point, as far as, you know, day to day. And there are things happening at the church that I don't know about, like there's meetings here and stuff. And that's just part of it. You know, I can't know everything at this point as the lead guy, but I think this, this football level even could break down into, you know, you've got your division one, a, you know, your sec big 10 schools where these are the multi multi, you know, um, uh, churches that have just mega churches. And then you, you know, you kind of have that next tier down division one, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, uh, churches as well, maybe a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. smaller between a thousand, 2000 or a little over. And so I, I think that breakdown just kind of helps know how I'm supposed to lead the team or how I can best effectively lead the team and, and really continue to release things to those coaches slash pastors. Yeah, and so uh, thanks for, for walking through that. And again, that's uh, the book Sticky Teams by Larry Osborne. Another article that I'm going to put in our show notes, if you just go to busypastor.org and click on the show, is by Tim Keller. And it's just a, a stages of church growth that where he kind of you know yeah. parallels this stuff, stage one, stage mm -hmm. two, stage three, stage four. And and he, may, he breaks it down a little bit more into uh, kind of the relational um, and administrative uh, uh, struggles that you may have at, at different stages, what, what church members look for at each stage. So, so go, go to the show notes, uh, read that. I think yeah. that's going to be helpful as well. I would say one other good resource on this is Les McEwen's book called Predictable Success, because this is, this is a book that is written for businesses, but in so many ways, uh, you know, when you start a small business, that's really, kind of has some um, parallels to the church world. And so he talks about different stages of business and there are different stages of a church as well that I think tie in. Yeah. Uh, and so again, all, uh, all of that will be put in the show notes for you to go and uh, click the links and take you to those, uh, what we think are, are great resources. And so thank you so much for, for listening to episode 24. We'll be back next week, episode 25, continuing our, our discussion on leading staff. Thank you for listening to the Busy Pastor podcast. As we close today's episode, we want to invite you to do a few things. Join the Busy Pastor community today by going to busypastor.org and filling out the form. You'll receive more free resources, starting with our Fab Five resource, helping you determine the five things only you can do. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Busy Pastor. And if you liked today's episode, subscribe to The Busy Pastor and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we are continuing our conversation on being busy leading our staff. The Busy Pastor podcast is produced by Andrew Lindstrom, video production Jake Tipton, audio engineer Brian Papik, music by Brandon Sharp, and graphics by Zach Shaddix. See you next week. Until then, let's be busy with the right things. Thank you so much for tuning in to our YouTube page. Hit subscribe, share it with your friends, and don't forget to comment below.
New episodes come out every Thursday. For more content and to join the Busy Pastor community, visit busypastor.org.